0: I want everyone to know that. Don't get into this thinking, oh, I'm going to quit my job because I want to get into real estate and it's sexy and it's easy. Hey, it's JP. Hi,
1: it's Excel. And you're listening to Terry Shower on the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. I'm here with Nathan Payne, who's calling in from Salt Lake City, Utah. He nice. is an investor, an educator, a community builder, and I also just discovered a podcaster. Welcome to the show, Nathan.
0: Hey, wonderful to be here with you. Thank you.
1: So as um, we get to know each other, the audience is going to get to know you. I cool. uh, always have the kind of the first question, which is tell me a little bit about your journey through life that has led you to be on the show with me here today. What brought you up to this point?
0: Oh, that's a great question. I mean, are we? Are you talking like from like elementary school, like when I was
1: a child? <laughs> or, you know, Give me or- the like the short version. We have a half hour for the interview, but like you know, what got you started in investing? Like, why did you start podcasting? Just tell me how, yeah, yeah. why are you here?
0: <laughs> love it, love it. Gotcha. So I um I started real estate investing four years ago with zero knowledge of real estate. I got into it because I was doing door to door sales for many years at, ran teams was pretty high up, pretty good at sales, but, uh, it's a very transient lifestyle. You have to be going from area to area every summer, bringing your teams, knocking, selling. So uh, I didn't want to do that anymore. So I said, what can I do that will make good money that I can use my ability to, uh, you know, do sk- sales and chat, right. Uh, like infl- I guess influence people or, or, or whatever you want to call it. So I, then my buddy that I went to um, college with, his he was his dad was into wholesaling and uh, his he did a little bit of wholesaling and and lease options and seller finance in college. So I called him. I said, "Hey, let's uh let's do that. You know, I know you have a job. I have a job. Let's quit and let's go all in." So we just went all in, and uh, you know, over four years of not knowing anything and just going learning from by the trial fire and going through a lot of mentors, I uh, started learning more about real estate, and I found out that do, by doing a lot of mentorships, I felt like a lot of them were overpriced. I felt like a lot of them were maybe didn't provide the value that some of the other ones did. So I said, Hey, I know all this stuff and I'm willing to give like everything out. I'm willing to give away like buyers lists, scripts. I'm willing to give out leads, do calls with people, help them on with sellers. So I, then I started my own community and podcast. So that that's how I got here.
1: So, how do you start a community? Like, I mean, I know how to start a podcast because obviously you're on a, my podcast right now, but um, you say, okay, start a community. Like, how does that even happen?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. So, I originally started a community to get deals. That was my goal because I started doing a lot of j- joint venture deals where you would, you know, someone maybe didn't have a buyer. So, I'd bring someone and we would JV on it on a wholesale deal, which means, if you have an, someone has a house under contract and they need a buyer and you help them find a buyer, you make an assignment fee and you can usually split that. So I did that a lot and I was like, hmm, how can I get more of these deals where I don't have to spend any money and I can just bring buyers to people? I was like, I need to build a Facebook page, a community. So I started a Facebook page about a year ago and it was just to provide value because I said, hey, if I can provide value, give a lot of information out, people will come. So I started out and like organically, this isn't like a flex because there's people who have crushed it. And done way better. But in within a year's time, I organically got up to like uh, 3,000. Right now, it's like 3,600 people in the community, in the Facebook group. And then from there, I said, hey, this is all free. This is all available for anyone to use. But if you want more, if you want more resources available to you, join this community. And that's, that's kind of how it transitioned. Like trying to do deals and we provide value. Okay. Do you want more value? Okay. Join this.
1: Okay, then that turns into like a coaching program or like some other kind of uh, like mentorship, I guess.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, what that community is, like I call it the club, it's the painless wholesaling club. And all it is is, you know, weekly calls where I teach them things and then I get experts from other parts of the industry, other niches to come and teach and provide the value that they would pay for like expensive mentorship. But I try to do it at a very inexpensive cost to let people who potentially could never afford that get in and get started.
1: So I want to hear a bit more about your business model. So it sounds to me like you're a wholesaler. Mm -hmm. Tell me what's a typical deal look like for you.
0: Yeah. So I started out with wholesaling, but I don't, I'm not just a, I don't only wholesale because I think wholesaling is a very um, entry-level thing to do to just sell all your properties off or just for an assignment fee. So I do, I do whatever exit strategy makes sense now, whether that's keeping, flipping, wholesaling, you know, listing it. But uh my business right now at the beginning of the year looked was very uh, a larger wholesaling organization. It was an organization that took in deals and then tried to figure out how to sell it. I had like a bunch of leads managers, acquisition reps, dispositions, people that were selling the deals, VAs. And with the market shift, I've trimmed my business down to me and a couple of VAs. And all we do is We do what's called reverse wholesaling. If you don't, I also call it painless wholesaling because my name's not not saying it's pain. And I think it's painless to find the buyer first and then just find them a deal and then they'll pay you a fee. So that's what my business looks like right now. I I just look for deals for specific buyers in my market and I add my fee on top if they want it. And if it's something I want to keep, then I just keep it.
1: And so how do you find the deals?
0: All Through all sorts of uh, marketing means, I like to s- not spend money on marketing. So again, that's where that comes in the, the play of the community. I say, hey guys, um, if you have deals, I have buyers. I have the best buyers. I've been doing this for a while. And then they bring deals under contract and I, I tie them, link them up to my buyers. And that's pretty much I leverage the community and then they leverage me because I have the buyers. That's one of the ways that I find deals Another way ways on market. Uh, if a property is listed on the MLS, we uh, we make offers on it that make sense and enough to sell it to another investor.
1: Okay, so but I want specifics. Like, can you just walk me through like a specific deal? Like one, two, three Willow Lane. This is how I found it. This is what I decided to do with it. Like, just take me through an example so I can like put put sort of a hundred percent picture to it.
0: So I'll give you this one. I just did this one. It was like a twenty five thousand dollars wholesale fee. What had happened is I'm in another a program, another community with Jerry Norton. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but one of his students ha- lives in my area, Salt Lake City, and they had a deal that they got under contract that was on market. It was listed on the MLS. And it's funny because this specific deal, I had made an offer on about two weeks prior to them getting it under contract. The house was listed at 450 It was terrible shape. The agent listed way more. I called the agent and I, I said, Hey, I can offer you 325. And he was like, no, I got someone, I got better offers than you. And I was like, okay, that's fine. My goal was to get at a price that made sense to, for a flipper. So he said, no. So later I found out that the person from Jerry's community had the same house under contract at 370. Not So 450 is what it was listed for. They had it 370. They were looking for a buyer. So I reached out to him and I said, Hey, I made an offer on that deal before you did, and and I ran the numbers, you need it lower. 370 is not going to work. And they said, well, if I can get it negotiated down, do you have a buyer? I said, yeah, get it down to 330, and we can wholesale it to someone at 345 or something. And so they told the agent after you know they went back and forth, they were actually able to get it down to 320, $5,000 lower than I was. And we s- assigned it to uh, one of our buyers, one of my buyers at 345. So that's like step A. A to Z is house was listed way too high. Nobody was interested in it because the agent just kind of screwed and made a bad decision. Nobody's if you list too high, no one calls about it. They're just like, forget that. So we made the right offer, renegotiated it and then assigned it. And I found the deal just because of the community that I'm a part of and that I grow It's just I talk to a lot of people. I say, hey, I have buyers. And that's how we got it done.
1: Enjoying the episode so far? Have you really been listening to the episode or has your monkey mind been taking you off in one direction or another? Our mental habits can be our biggest assets or our biggest liabilities as we pursue certain goals. For me, the biggest performance gains have always come from training my mind. In my book, Mindful Landlord, I talk about how you can train your mind and how you can apply some of these strategies to your journey in the real estate field. The book is available on Amazon and also on its website, MindfulLandlord.com. Now I'll stop evangelizing for the power of mental training and let you get back to the show. Mm -hmm. And then when you decide to, you know, I guess get into the deal for some equity yourself, how do you do that?
0: So if I wanted to buy the deal myself, I would probably have to pay out if it was from another wholesaler, I would pay them out a fee and just just take it down with hard money take it down with my own financing you know, get a mortgage on it. So it really depends. Uh, usually if I'm going to take something down, I'm going to try to get creative financing on it so I don't have to get a mortgage on it like a loan. So yeah, that's what it would be if if I wanted to keep it.
1: Okay, cool. Before we get into like any more kind of, you know, business business related stuff, one of my pet peeves of the way people, you know, who who are active in real estate get on podcasts and talk about is like a lot of people are not upfront about the lifestyle hits that they took to get where they are. Um, you know, like Instagram, social media, we all like to photos of our success, but nobody really talks about the late nights, the stress, the anxiety, all the living in bad neighborhoods, whatever we had to do to, you know, gain financial independence or be full-time real estate people. Can you tell me and tell our audience a little bit about some of those sacrifices or those lifestyle hits that you had to take to do what you're doing?
0: Oh my gosh. I'm like the most transparent guy out there because I hate that too. I mean, I don't like, uh. Like right now with this market shift happening and it's affecting investing, it really is. Like, I don't care where you're at. Maybe it's different in Canada, but in the United States, it's affecting investing. So I think if, when I see people like, oh yeah, I'm crushing it. So I was like, mm, you're definitely not crushing as much as you were because everybody was doing way better. So I'm very transparent and I'll, I'll be real. I have three flips that I purchased at the beginning of like March around at the beginning of the year and I can't sell them right now. So I'm kind of in a bad spot where I'm having to refinance out of these deals and then rent them out and I'm actually lost some money even though I got them at great deals even for today's standards it's just weird because in Utah because the the prices are so much higher it, it fluctuated a lot right the price range has dropped like 100k it's not good for investors so there's a lot of flippers that are getting crushed out here and I'm not worried because that's just the what happens, right? You know, you got to, you got to pivot. And that's what I've been doing for my business. And that's why I teach people to reverse wholesale, because if you are doing the traditional model of just marketing, 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 and blasting people, you're spending a lot of money on sellers who are leads that maybe aren't realistic right now with what they want for their house. So that's, that's another way. I'm just being transparent about my current situation. It's, that's just unfortunate. I wish I didn't have three houses I couldn't sell, but nobody's buying the interest rates are like 7% and at a house that's half a million. I mean, you're getting a little, I wouldn't say dinky house, but you're not getting nearly as much as you could. And I think people are like not very interested or, you know, a lot of people are sitting on the sidelines and waiting to see what happens. So my I'm very transparent in the sense that like my journey was not an easy journey to um like be good at this because when I first started a wholesale, I thought, you know, you didn't need to make as many calls to sellers to get deals done. So it took me a while to understand the metrics and the KPIs that you need to be hit. And that's why I have my community because I have I hate when people spend a lot of money on mentorships thinking that it's going to be easy. It, this is if you wholesale, it's not easy. It's a very active business. It's not passive at all. It's it's the opposite of passive. Wholesaling is you go, you call tons of people, you try to make offers, and you know, that's, that's how you do business. You're not going to get to make five calls a day and expect to be successful in in, in wholesaling and that niche of the market. I'm not sure what you specifically do, but yeah, it's, I've learned that it was very difficult in the beginning to do enough for it to be consistent business, but now I get it. And I want everyone to know that don't get into this thinking, oh, I'm going to quit my job because I want to get into real estate and it's sexy and it's easy. It's like, Are you sure? You're probably gonna have to work way harder than what you're doing at your, your day job. That's my thought.
1: So, okay. Hard work, but like, tell me, so it sounds like you were, you know, doing sales at a certain point and then you decided to go full-time, you know, wholesaling with your friend. And then at some point that turned into being a, like a full-time investor, I guess, or a full-time real estate person. But so, You know, you you mentioned hard work, but I'm sure that there's some kind of other delaying of gratification or some kind of other things that you've had to do to make that happen for yourself, either, you know, financial hits that you've taken or choosing to live somewhere that you wouldn't otherwise choose to live. Like, tell me about the whole picture. Because like, I think it's it's a mistake for people to get in thinking that the work side of it is going to be easy, but it's also a mistake to think that you're going to be able to keep your same lifestyle as you would have if you were working a 100k job that has a stable salary at least for a while
0: right yeah so money for me has never been something like i wouldn't say an issue but i just haven't i've been i'm very frugal so when i was doing my door to door sales i was making you know six figures plus working a couple months out of the year because you make a lot of money knocking and selling you know door plus if you have teams you make residuals so when i came in to uh, wholesaling, yeah, I took a giant financial hit, but because of the money I saved and because I'm very frugal, and my wife also works, we were able to be fine, and we've been fine financially since then. And it, that was never something that I, I had to take a giant hit on, because uh, I guess again, I, I live off of little. I'm not very. I'm like a. I'm not a minimalist. My wife is, we, you know, very very chill lifestyle. We live in like a thousand square feet. We rent out our basement. Uh, That pays our mortgage. So, very very easy to maintain the lifestyle we want. We don't really need crazy things. But uh, moving, didn't really have to move anywhere. We've been in this house since I started four years ago. Yes, there's been ups and downs having to go to court over things that, like, you know, are unfortunate. Like, I did a seller finance deal here in Utah. I let the seller stay in the house after I purchased it on terms, you know, and he was on title. And then when it was time for me to say, Hey, you need to move out. He wouldn't. So now I had to evict someone that owned the house. And it was just, ai didn't know anything about that. I was like, Oh, he'll leave. You know, I've had situations like that. So that was, that sucked. And there's just, you know, we bought a house with a squatter, the squatter wouldn't, we didn't know they had a squatter. We, we, he was in California. I live in Utah, so he wouldn't get out. We had to, uh, we offered, like 500 bucks he's like how's 2500 and give me 30 days and i'll think about moving out of your house so i flew to california and i kicked him out i was like you need to get out you you, we gave you the options. time to leave that got wild the cops got involved so there's there's a lot of crazy situations you just but as far as like being very like i guess financially strapped i've been okay
1: Okay. <laughs> I, love, I, love those, I love the crazy stories because it's like, you know, like very often you get talking to investors and people are, are giving you this like very professional, you know, like this is how my business model works. And like, this is how I was running things. And then like, once you start poking it, you're, you wouldn't believe the stories that people tell you, like, especially, you know, those experiences of, you know, like when, when I started, I lived in like a pretty like bad part of town just because that was the hit I decided to take. Right. Um, I right. lived on the ground floor of a triplex then the things that you see, like the stuff that either your tenants do or the stuff that happens in the neighborhood. And you're like, wow, like this is, this is what real estate investing is about, right? It's not just only cashing checks and like taking selfies and having professional conversations. Like it, that's not how it is.
0: Not <laughs> uh, the least bit. I mean, I remember like two years, a uh, year in, like we were driving through this. We used to drive a lot for dollars. I don't know if that's a big thing in Canada. But
1: what is that? Tell me what is
0: what that is. Drive for dollars is when you can drive around like a neighborhood that's maybe distress a lot of distressed homes, and you can mark with an app. Or you can write down the address of the property that looks distressed, and then you reach out to that person and see if they're selling. So we would do that a lot in the beginning. We would. So we were driving through this pretty uh, rundown neighborhood, and we saw this house like condemned, right? And we saw this guy walking in front of it, and we're like, "Hey, maybe maybe that's the owner. Let's talk to him." So we talked to the guy, and he's like, "Yeah, man, I'm selling this house in two days. You know, I've already got someone that's going to buy all cash." And we're like, "Well, we'll buy. It. We can pay a little bit more." And he's like, you want to see inside? And we're like, sure. And this is, it was a condemned home. We didn't know what the heck we were doing. So this guy, the house was condemned. You, could, No one could live in it. He had taken off one of the boards in the back window and was living in a condemned home with no lights, no electricity, like nothing, no septic. Like it was just, it was just like a shell, right? I don't know why we decided to go in. There was no reason to go in that house through the window and see what was going on. It was obviously destroyed and disgusting, but my thought was like, yeah, let's go look and see what kind of condition this is in. So we go inside. It's like pitch dark. We have like our phones and our flashlights and there's like, I mean, it's unfortunate. The dude was like pooping on the floor. It was like, why am I in here? This makes no sense. Why am I in here? We didn't actually end up getting the deal. Cause he's, we, like with the guy like that, the, we couldn't get a hold of him ever again. And he sold to someone else, but just things like that. I'm like, why, what was I thinking? Why did I need to go in a a house to even remotely understand that you need it for like a dollar? You know, you need that house for like no money. So you, you learn stuff like that and you do crazy stuff. I would never do that again.
1: <laughs> I was like trying to contain my laughter. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, it's also, it's also funny. Like I think us in Canada, like, I don't know what, exactly how I would quantify this, but I think there's just like, there's the bandwidth of people is just a little bit less, right? Like I think in the US it's something like one house in 20 forecloses, whereas in Canada it's one in 900.
0: Yeah, yeah. So
1: we really don't have that business of driving around for, you know, to find distressed sellers. It's actually very hard to find distressed sellers here, but um, yeah, that's definitely like, like that's visited like, a few properties where I've been like, like why did I, I knew, I kind of knew if something wasn't right. Like why? Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah. You're like, what's, what am I just trying to waste my time? <laughs> I'm just trying to, so yeah, no, I, I totally get what you're saying. Like, yeah, definitely in Canada, there's less people, less homes, right. than where there are here. So yeah, I get it. Well, there's
1: less, like, how can I say there our financing laws are are stricter and mm-hmm. our prices are higher. So it's like very difficult for people who are financially not solid to be able to get a qualify for a mortgage. And then that turns into less foreclosing. So anyway, whatever, just like, like kind of a different, different business model. Um, I wonder if you can tell me just a little bit about, you know, economically what's happening now. You kind of mentioned that the interest rate is making it a bit difficult, especially for people in Utah to kind of like turn over the houses and and keep the ball rolling. Maybe you could tell me just a little bit about how that's affected your business other than not being able to sell the, the houses that you have or like how you've, what you've done to maybe weather some of that.
0: Yeah, great question. So, in, in the United States, it really depends on the market because if you're in the Midwest or in other parts of the the United States where the prices didn't really appreciate as much, they're also obviously not going to depreciate as much, right, as quickly. So, but in Utah, there was like property values almost like doubled, right? So now it's like, well, you can't expect people to pay the same amount when the interest rates have more than doubled, right? Uh, so that's kind of what's happening right now is. There's less cash buyers. There's less investors that are willing to flip. So that directly affects as a wholesaler, who do you sell your deals to? Well, you sell them to cash buyers. So there's less buyers, but the way to pivot is you just have to be better at negotiating with sellers and explain to them that what they believe their home value was. Yes, it was true a couple months ago, but it's different now. And they're starting to see that too, when they list their homes and they're not selling and uh that that's how you pivot you just have to be a little bit better at explaining and negotiating and helping people understand and my first pitch when i talk to a seller is never to be like hey i can make you a low cash offer that's never like what i do what i do is i I go in there and say hey what's got you interested in selling let's talk about the options you've explored let's see what's best for you and if a cash option is on the table then obviously let's talk about there's other ways i can work with you so even though I wholesale, it's not, that's not like the go-to when you talk to people. Cause no, you know, there's a very limited amount of people that want to just sell their house for like 50% of what it's worth. Right. It, it has to be distressed. It has to be a situation where they need to sell like very fast, like in a couple of weeks or, or so. So that's how I've pivoted per- personally, like just by being better, focusing more on negotiating and, Uh, not spending as much money on marketing leads that, you know, spending like most wholesaling companies that were, are big, they spend like, you know, 20, 30, $40,000 a month on marketing, whether that's pay-per-click mailers, texting, cold calling, but you can't really do that in my opinion now, because there's less buyers and sellers are still a little bit uh, out of their, like out of whack, what values are. So I was just thought that was just throwing a lot of bad a lot of money after bad leads when i already have like 140,000 seller leads in my crm so i've gone more into like let's leverage the community let's work together let's uh you know get deals at lower prices and let's just use the you know filter the leads we have already
1: Mm-hmm. And so I guess just wait also for like the sellers' expectations to adjust and for buyers to feel a bit less insecure. Yeah, it's actually very, very similar to uh, you know what's going on in Canada. Actually, our uh, correction is supposed to be bigger than yours because we didn't have a correction in two thousand eight, mm-hmm. um, and Canada mm-hmm. has like I think has more mortgage debt. We're in the top three worldwide for mortgage debt. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So, um, for sure, no, and 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 you know if I look at the markets that that I'm in. The sellers have not necessarily adjusted their expectations and the buyers like are kind of, especially investors have been in pens down mode since the summer. And Mm -hmm. so even if there are good, reasonable deals out there, like nobody's making moves. So,
0: right. And you can't blame them. And I, so I do this all over the country. I, I focus on Utah, but I do deals all over the United States. It's called virtual wholesaling where you just do everything over the phone. And it's interesting to see some markets... Investors are, they, they don't care. They're, they're still going for it, right? Like, I have a deal in Richmond, Virginia right now, and yeah, lots of activity. The market has not really suffered there. Columbia, South Carolina. So it really depends on the market, but you can see if the values were extremely high, then yes, there's a lot more because the, the interest rates are affecting what people can uh, qualify for.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. And so I guess we're getting uh, sort of to the end of the interview. I'm going to ask you our last question now, which yeah. is, What do you think we should be talking about in our industry that we're not talking about? Hmm.
0: That's a really good question. What, As investors or talking to sellers about, what do you think?
1: I mean, just in general, right? Like there's, let's say in the real estate world, there's a certain amount of discourse. Like you talk to, you know, listen to different podcasts, go to different events, hear people speak. Where are the holes? Like, what are we not talking about? It could be something to do with business, could be something to do with values, could be whatever else. But like, what do you think we need to be mentioning that we're not, what should be on our, on our radar? That's not on our radar.
0: I mean... I don't really know what's going on so much with what other people are saying, but I know that one message that I've been trying to make clear is like helping sellers meet the needs that they have and not like pushing options or wholesaling or low offers if that's not the best option for them. So, like, my thing is like win win, right? Like, it has to make sense for them where if they decide to go with you, it's there's no hard feelings or there's no like a remorse. And that's how I try to treat my sales calls. It's like, hey, I've laid out everything available to you. What makes sense for you? Cause I'm not here to like convince you to do anything. So if that's being pushed, like trying to like finagle or like pull something over on someone that believes, doesn't understand the value of their home. I think that's wrong. I think you should tell someone what their value of their home is and say, Hey, like this happens to me all the time. If someone's like, Hey, I want two thirty for my house. And it's really worth 400,000 for some reason. And they just don't know. I would say, Hey, look, I'd love to buy your house for that price or around there, but uh, you probably should list this thing. It doesn't sound like it's in bad shape. You could list it. You could get it quick. So I think if that's going around that, you know, take advantage of people because you can benefit now. Mine is like, Hey, always do what's best for, for both parties and you'll do more business. So I don't know if that's not being talked about, but if it they're saying to do that, then I, they should talk about being honest. Honest, true, having the right characteristics and virtues and values so you can be, f- sleep well at night. That's great advice.
1: Nathan, thank you for taking this time to chat with me, share some of your wisdom and experience with our audience. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you if they want to learn more about what you do?
0: Yeah, so I have a, a website called InvestorThrive.com and you can reach me on that. I also have a Facebook group that's free. It's a free community, Painless Wholesaling Group. That's the Facebook group, Painless This Wholesaling. And I have a YouTube channel, Nathan Payne. Just check me out. I'm here. I'm super open to helping out as many people as I can because I know the more I give, the more value I give, the more deals I can do because that's just how it is. If you see me and you're like, hey, I like that guy, then you know I can say, hey, I'll show you Call the seller and we can do a deal together. So reach out to me on any of those.
1: Great, Nathan. I love it. Win-win. Thank you for uh, taking the time to chat with me today. Thank
0: you. Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks for listening to the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, remember to give us a rating, leave a comment, subscribe, and share. You can find Terry at terryshower.com. Her book, Mindful Landlord, is available on Amazon. You can also follow her on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. JP is the president of the Real Estate Investors Club. You can learn more about the club's networking and educational activities on Facebook by searching for Real Estate Investors Club. Look to the show notes to find information on our guests and links to material mentioned in the episode.